Hello, it's your host, Kat Walsh, and you're listening to another episode of Trip On This. This podcast is for mature audiences and is not suitable for young children. Trip On This is intended for entertainment purposes only, and we do not condone the use of illegal substances. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trip On This. My next guest is Mary Jane Gibson. Mary Jane was the culture and lifestyle editor for High Times for over a decade. She is still a contributor to major publications like Rolling Stone, and she's the co-host of the hit podcast, Weed and Grub. Needless to say, Mary Jane is a wealth of knowledge, and it shows on this episode. If I was to describe this show with one word, it would be passion. We are so incredibly passionate about psychedelics and cannabis, respectively, and it just is such a joy to talk to someone who really feels that level of passion as well. She's been doing this certainly for longer than I have, but man, we had a good time. We you will get a little fired up during it, and hopefully you guys get a little fired up with us. We also discuss her new short film that she just created called Primordial Prophecy, about a woman at the end of her life who drinks some mushroom tea and sees what awaits her on the other side. So a really fun balance on this episode. I think you guys will enjoy it. A couple things before the episode begins. If you're not following me on socials, please do so at trip on this underscore pod. Again, that's at trip on this underscore pod for Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok and backslash trip on this pod for Facebook. If you are enjoying this and you want to help support me, please send it out to your friends and family. It is all super helpful for me. And with that, please enjoy my next episode with Mary Jane Gibson. Mary Jane, welcome to Trip on This. Hi, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. So you are one of the most prominent female voices in the cannabis industry. You're an award-winning actress. You're on the hit podcast, Weed and Grub. It just sounds like you've lived such an interesting life so far. Could you just give us a little background on where it all began up until this point? Wow. Um, <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> where do I start? Well, it all began uh, in Newfoundland. I grew up in St. John's, Newfoundland, okay. which for those who don't know, is an island off the east coast of Canada. It's in the Atlantic provinces. And uh, that's where I, you know, learned about uh, cannabis culture for the first time when I was a teenager through hash. Okay. The world of weed in Newfoundland was almost exclusively hash that was imported. So my first experiences were smoking spliffs and doing hot knives with friends when I was lucky when they would share with me. Yep. Yeah. Also <laughs> learning about, you know, psychedelics for the first time, taking mushroom tea and running around with friends. You know, the great thing about Newfoundland is that it's incredibly beautiful and it's very safe yeah. for a teenager to sort of just like explore the outdoors. Oh, and nice. so it was a kind of a great way to be a teen and, and you know, learn about uh, that the world of weed and psychedelics for the first time. And then yeah. I moved to Montreal where I went to theater school. And during that time, I really didn't do anything other than totally focus on my studies. Mm -hmm. And then after I graduated, I traveled a lot and I finally landed in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, I moved to New York. And that's where I really started my world of writing about cannabis when I got a job with High Times. Mm -hmm. 
Since then, I've uh, written for High Times and now write for other outlets like Rolling Stone and Playboy. And I moved to California a few years ago, where, of course, we're in this amazing mecca of legal cannabis. And I've dovetailed my acting career a little bit with my writing career through Weed and Grub and through making some other pieces of performance work. So I was for a while, it was a little bit out of balance because I really wanted to perform full time and I sort of moved into writing full time. And now I'm, I'm trying to sort of merge the two a little more. Yeah. Yeah. What a beautiful segue to the short film I want to talk to you about, Primordial Prophecy. <laughs> I, I just, for those, and I'm, I'm just going to say this to those listening and watching, I'm going to put the link to it, to her short film. It's about what, three and a half minutes? Yep, about that. Three I tried to keep it short. Yep, three and a half <laughs> minutes. I encourage everyone to uh, watch it right now. I'll, I'll put a little in the disclaimer so that we can all follow along so we can, um, as we talk about it, because I was really incredibly moved by it. And, you know, when I was watching it, I've, I've watched it several times now. And I, when I think of the the quote, you know, uh, a picture has a thousand words, I really felt that from your piece, except maybe a million words, because there was just <laughs> so much said without being said and the emotion that you were able to capture and the ineffable quality of a psychedelic experience i'd love to just learn more about where where did where was the genesis of it and if you could just give us a little background about what it's about for those listening uh, I'd love to. The genesis of it was through the theater company Scapegoat, Scapegoat Carnival. They're an award-winning theater company based in Montreal, headed up by my best friend from theater school, Allison Darcy. Nice. And they create all sorts of incredible work. And this was sort of their response to the pandemic. They mm. wanted to continue to make pieces that speak to what everyone's going through. And so they solicited seven artists to create what they thought about a prophecy, their sort of response to the word prophecy and in whatever form that took. And so there are seven pieces that live on the Scapegoat Carnival website and mine was one of them. And my idea of prophecy was, you know, sort of about the psychedelic prophecies and prophets uh, who can tell us what awaits us, what, what might happen to us after we die. I think that the world of psychedelic medicine is so fascinating, especially as it relates to helping people pass yeah. Uh, with with less fear. Yeah. And yeah. I've found through my own use of psychedelics that I've come to understand the interconnectedness of everything and the fact that, you know, when you die, that the, the I, I'm just not as afraid of, of what might come through yeah. my use of psychedelics and, and processing that way. So I really wanted to create a piece about a woman who is facing death and, and wanting to know what awaits her on the other side. And when she pulls open that ancient door, yeah what what is there and I created it as sort of an audio collage of what she experiences after she drinks a cup of tea that is a psychedelic tea a mushroom tea and I really wanted to just sort of capture the essence of what a trip might feel like both the journey there and the return and then the sense of peace when you come back to this plane and I hope I captured some of that you you really did it I think that's why it almost like got me emotional listening uh, watching it because I was just little bits of like I felt almost like uh not it, it wasn't like fear but like the like what's going to happen and um the the beauty of the surrender is what I felt from you like this surrender of what was being shown to you and yeah, it was beautiful and so timely you know just so timely in as you probably know psychedelic medicine right now what they're with with the right to try act they are giving psychedelics to a lot of terminal patients are, are you aware of this? 
I yes, I mean peripherally. I don't I don't know all of the details, but I'm fascinated by yeah. the idea. You, I mean, you were, you're speaking right on something that has actually been scientifically, they're in the clinical trials right now for terminal patients that are, they're trying to see how they can mitigate fear and the, come back to the idea of interconnectedness. And I had a guest that said, basically when he's on psychedelics, he feels like it's, it's an extension of his life because he too, like myself also believe that our consciousness lives on and um, a psychedelic certainly makes you feel like you're tapping into whatever that beyond is. And what's so interesting about that particular article is one of the things that it was saying, it's a New York times article that their, the patients were coming back basically saying things like it's an extension of life now. I'm no longer afraid because of, you know, all the same qualities. And so it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful topic to talk about and leads me to kind of a bigger question around psychedelics, which is, you know, what do you think the future of psychedelics are on society? If you were to just think about from your own experiences, like what could that, what does that look like if this does become more widespread? Oh my goodness. I mean, I think that all of the bad things that happen in the world, almost everything terrible that happens can be traced back to fear. It's the, it's the root of all of the, all of the ways we hurt each other is, is from fear. And my experience with psychedelics has lessened my fear. Yeah. And in that way, I hope it's made me a better person. I hope it's made me more compassionate. Yeah. It certainly made me more accepting of the fact that I am here for a short time and that I hope to just make the world a little better while I'm in it. And I think that's pretty close to the meaning of life is to live as fully and compassionately as you possibly can and, and leave things a little better um, before you, before you head out to the next, the next plane. And so I truly believe that psychedelic medicine, helping people pass with less fear and in general affecting people on a, on a daily level of, of, of having less fear would, would just make the world a, a happier, better place. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> and obviously I'm a little biased, I'm like trip on this. Um, yeah. but, but... I think, you know, if you could get Mitch McConnell to, you know, just have one session on some serious psychedelics, I think that he would change his mind about a lot of the things that he does. <laughs> I could not agree more. I've actually thought about things like that. Like just certain, especially conservative, uh, folks out there I'm like just imagine if they had like a serious acid trip or like what what that would be like um what's interesting I actually read something about how psychedelic trips could impact political stances now it wasn't mm-hmm. like fully studied and I don't want to just like put that out there but basically them saying that it's yeah that it has essentially the power of maybe like re-examining some values that you initially held and that essentially changing once you've had a psychedelic, whatever that's for. And yeah, I, as I, as I think about psychedelics to exactly to your point about fear, I just also think about like the bigger questions on a societal level that would happen. So if psychedelics continue this growth trajectory that they're on mm-hmm. and more people are doing them and having, let's just, let's just take death since we're on the subject, suddenly many people are now either, uh, their relationship to death is changing, whether that's having a connection to source or God or whatever they want to, whatever, whatever name, right? That something ineffable, something bigger than, right? Or entities kind of like in your, um, 
in your short, which of course hundreds of thousands of people have reported on any either, either an ayahuasca or a DMT or even mushroom trips of meeting entities on another side. Like what, what does that do to uh, us as a society? Right. Like that's, mm-hmm. that is that, that is the fundamental question I think of life and, and the biggest question mark of all around is, is death and, um, mm-hmm. and what happens. And so I just, I think about those things a lot just in and what it would do to say like religion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it would have, it's going to have profound shifts and hopefully for the better. What are you, do you have any additional thoughts on that before we move on to? Well, you know, one of the wonderful things that I learned in the last year in a conversation with a therapist was that, so she's this, I spoke with this woman who is a therapist specifically dealing with oncology Mm -hmm. patients, terminal cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And she has been with close to 400 people when they've passed. Wow. And she told me in no uncertain terms that there is someone waiting for you. She was like, I just have been in the room with so many people as they've gone. And, you know, I can't say who it is that's waiting for them, but there's someone there. They are being greeted. Yeah. And there is a great joy in that. Yeah. And I just found such deep sort of relief in that. Yeah. Yeah. And that is what I believe when people talk about coming back from the ayahuasca trip and having met entities or beings on the other side. I think that that, that idea of crossing over and meeting someone who's happy to see you is, you know, in every tradition and every religion, I think is the idea that your ancestors are waiting. You're, you're being greeted by someone who is, is going to guide you to the next stage. I find great relief and peace in that. And Mm -hmm. I, I just, uh, you know, I think that psychedelics have helped me also really truly believe that on a, on a a cellular level. That's been my experience when I've, when I've had a, a really, a, a, big, powerful trip. I have absolutely felt that. Wow. Yeah. Cellular levels uh, is the key word there. I, I feel that too. It, it's more than, yeah, it's more than the, just my mind that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, there's an experience that's happening there. And I, I do, I do think about, yeah, those big questions and, and have the same feeling. And so I felt great relief of you also telling, sharing that story mm-hmm. and I, plug for Netflix, but there's actually a show called uh, Surviving Death. Have you heard of it? Mm-hmm. I haven't no. It it just came out, but it's it's essentially that. It's it's all these different episodes about what about death essentially. Like there's one on mediumship, but one's about uh, people that have already been dead that have come back. That's the first episode. And for what it's worth, just watching episode one is actually the stories of five different people that were just passed. They were passed for one for thirty minutes. Mm. 30 minutes she was drowned they were like she must have brain damage if she like it didn't even make sense and she I won't root it for everybody but it just it 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 illustrates your your story and mm-hmm. I definitely recommend it amazing I, I will check it out yeah okay yeah. so we'll lighten things up okay okay all right <laughs> all right so we're not gonna talk about death anymore guys all right okay. uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into fun stuff okay mm-hmm. as the high priestess of cannabis oh <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's what I was thinking about. How, how do I want to address you on this? Yes, because you have a lot to say about it. <laughs> so for you, what, thinking back on now in your career at High Times, what was one of the most culturally significant moments for you personally along this movement? Is there any 
whether it was a policy or something passing or just an article that came out that was the first of its kind? Boy, you know, I, I think the most significant thing for me at High Times actually didn't have to do with the publication. It had to do with the events. Mm. I was in Denver at the first legal cannabis cup with 50,000 people smoking together. Wow. That sounds fun. <laughs> and it, it was it was fun and it was liberating and it was there was a fundamental joy that connected everyone in that crowd yeah. that felt spiritual. You know, it did. It yeah. really felt like weed church. Yeah. And I don't mean that to be uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, sacrilegious or, or you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, you know, weed is my religion, but it really did feel spiritual. And I think that that shift yeah. For everyone there that day was the moment when we all knew that we were never going back. Wow. And that the work obviously was still very much ahead of the movement to yeah. fully legalize and get everyone out of prison and make it safe and fair for all to benefit and profit from the plant. I think yeah. that was the day where I realized that I was really going to stay in cannabis and, yeah. and keep working to destigmatize and talk yeah. about and educate about weed and, and what I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. When did you say that was again? That was 2014. Yeah. There is something I've, I've never experienced that with weed, but I have at least in groups on like a psychedelic where when you do just have just a shared, yeah, spiritual experience, even if it's fun, <laughs> because I think there's a uh, misconception that I think spirituality has to be like hard or ceremonial when really it could, there's so much joy and connectedness yeah. in it. And yeah, my, I mean, my spiritual moments are like being on Molly at a <laughs> Life is Beautiful in Las Vegas yeah. and seeing Ar Arcade Fire. Like yeah. that's, that's being close to God for me, so. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that. I'm a huge festival person. And I actually wrote, I had a whole, I have a whole video about ecstasy. And I'm just like, I know guys, I know this is going to be like a little, a lot for people to hear, but like fucking love it. It just brings me so much joy and like it, Molly for me actually accessed a level of joy that I had never even knew I, I could. Yeah. I actually didn't know my heart could be that open. And it then allowed me, it allowed me to see, okay, I didn't know I could love that much. So in mm. now in my sober state, I was able to reach it. I knew that I was like, look, I know I'm never gonna have the feeling of maybe like rolling, I guess if I do enough breath work, but, <laughs> um, but it, it really, again, like come back to like that spirituality that connected me to a deeper love that I was able to carry out every day. You, yeah. And you can do it responsibly and you yeah. can do it without, you know, connecting to the parts of it that really scare people. I think, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that like a street drug that can be cut with things, all yeah. that sort of stuff, like you can, you can figure out a safe way to source it and then yes. use it responsibly in a way where it really does connect you in a, it's self-care to me, honestly, yeah. you know, the, the author Islet Waldman, who wrote the book about microdosing mm -hmm. a really good day talks about using MDMA to connect with her husband, mm -hmm. um, in, in their relationship and marriage. And she writes about it from the perspective of a woman who's, you know, to all outward appearances, she's, you know, a, like a, a mom and, you know, a professional. And, but she talks about it in that, that way of using it as a connector for the betterment of her world of yeah. her relationship. And that's yeah. honestly what it's always done for me. If I can, if I can set aside a day to microdose a little Molly and, and go on a hike, it's, 
one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And I think it's important for just people to hear this perspective of it. And, and the same way she was talking about connecting with her husband to also just reframe the ways in which it works. And I think it's just, you know, naturally it's been associated a lot with, let's say rave culture and, Mm -hmm. um, which I love. I like, and I'm very open, but that again, like uh, with a, always with a place of balance, I think is very, very important. Yeah. And I think, you know, where it really gets scary, for instance, I remember being at Burning Man and seeing someone who was tripping really hard and there was a a guy who was following her and the whole thing just looked very unsafe. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that you really need to take into account is that you can get into trouble if you don't take into account set and setting and having a good group of people around you or a good partner to be there with you to keep you safe. It's not something that you should take lightly. But that said, you know, the propaganda swirling around it that, you know, if you take it, something terrible will happen to you is just flat out wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's always about the proper education and literature and, and yes, being supported and knowing where one gets it is just mm-hmm. and huge. Unfortunately, Molly is tampered with too much. Yeah. You know, that is just yeah. uh, something that people need to know and realize. But yeah, I mean, again, look, I will always say like a big giant disclaimer on this, like not recommending it, but just for people to, as it it's so close to being passed now through the, through the FDA. It's time where people start also just in the same way that mushrooms have been like suddenly very accepted. It's time for MDMA to, to feel that too. I still don't think it quite has the same, uh, Oh, it's natural. So you know what I mean? (laughs) Right, right. But I know that MAPS is doing MDMA research and you know that there has been definitive clinical data that it can help with PTSD. And so, you know, it certainly is in that whole world of therapeutic psychedelics. And I'm really excited to see what what comes. It's amazing, you know. I think it's soon for MDMA, Mm -hmm. actually. Minnesota just opened their first psychedelic clinic where they're just doing ketamine because that's the only thing that's approved at the moment ketamine assisted mm-hmm. therapies but it said it said literally in the article like coming soon mdma mm-hmm. assisted assisted uh therapies and later psilocybin assisted therapies as the dea you know reschedules it and whatnot so it's coming i think Great. it's gonna, hopefully it's in 2021 i mean just for those who just for those who are in need right now at least for those in ptsd like it's it's time we absolutely help, it's time we help yeah. people or people mm-hmm. need some help right now. What do you think the, the future of cannabis is looking like? There's a lot of legalizations. It looks like the population as a whole wants weed. What do we What do we think? What's the future? I it's exciting. It's bright green. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Cannabis was <laughs> declared an essential during the pandemic. Yep. You know, I I think they're going to be very slow at the federal level, as always, to yes. grant access federally. I think that there's so much good work being done right now to get people out of prison. That is the greatest unfairness and injustice that's being perpetrated right now is that there are people suffering in prison while other people profit off the plant. I think that, you know, one in three Americans right now lives in a state with access to fully legal adult use cannabis. Wow, one in three? Isn't that incredible? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know it was that high. (laughs) And, you know, New Jersey just legalized and New York is just about to legalize. So, you know, the the world is bright and glowing and 
once the whole shebang happens at a federal level and they can't put people in prison for it anymore, I think it's just going to be one big hazy cloud and everything's going to get a whole lot better. That's but great. Well, then we have to fight a lot of prejudice and propaganda. Of course. On both sides. You know, Biden is no better on weed than, uh, you know, his predecessor was, I honestly. I just heard. So. I just heard that he let go of like five <laughs> people for them admitting that they smoked weed. Yeah, it's, it's the hypocrisy is galling. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of work to be done and we need to hold all of our politicians accountable, not just assume that because they're quote unquote progressive, that they're actually going to be good on this issue. Yeah. And we got to hold their feet to the fire, yeah. you know, and keep saying like good people smoke weed. Yeah. Good people smoke weed every day. Your vice president smoked weed. Yeah. Your former boss smoked weed. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I, to me, I just, <laughs> it, it shouldn't look, I, I come from this. It doesn't really matter to me like if i was if i was running a business right what unless unless it was something like okay working in pharmaceuticals or something where like you don't want to there is somehow a conflict of interest here or whatever i don't know but mm. for me like a i don't think it's any of our business personally like if you if smoking weed doesn't get in the way like if you're an excellent employee from for me as like a boss or something and that's their way of either relaxing at home or it makes them concentrate better or they're being their most productive state like that's that's their prerogative like it is wild to me that we are still parenting like just like you're mm -hmm. gonna let like adults like they and yet people could be drinking at any point yeah so it's like yeah. You know what makes me good at stacking boxes? Getting really stoned, mm -hmm. you know? Like I don't want to use opioids and benzodiazepines to manage my pain and my mood. I would yeah. like to eat an edible and then go to work if I have a job that, you know, requires me to be physical. I would like to smoke some weed on my way to work to manage my anxiety if I yeah. work in customer service. This is ridiculous. Like people who see weed as a drug and pharmaceuticals as beneficial have it the wrong way. Yeah. I see your pharmaceuticals as the drug. Yes. And weed is the benefit. Yes. So it's just unbelievable to me that especially, you know, in a world where we are requiring people to use every single ounce of their day just to survive, the gig economy is crushing us. Yeah. Younger generations, and we have access to a plant that you can grow at home. Yeah. You can grow this yourself at home and make yeah. your own medicine. And you're telling me that I'm a bad person for using it and or you're going to put me in jail for that. And you want me to buy this drug that when you read the side effects, I mean, it could do terrible things to me and yeah. you have to list them on the commercial. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and you have to say them real fast so I don't hear them. Yeah. You and know they're what addictive. the side effects of weed are? Like a great nap. Yeah. And um, <laughs> might be hungry. Yeah. Maybe I ate my roommate's pizza when I came home. Sorry about that. I'll replace it. Like truly. Yeah. It's just, you know, and I think when I started out writing about cannabis, I really didn't understand that. And I think, you know, I was surrounded by the people at high times who were like the apostles of weed. Truly. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. cannabis knowledge in that group of people was amazing. And I came to it with an appreciation, but not a real understanding of, of what it meant. And I'm certainly not a weed nerd. Like I don't know all of the, you know, the phenotypes and the cultivars and the yeah. terps and all that kind of stuff, but I do understand injustice. Yeah. And that is what fires me up about it. And that's why I started my podcast, Weed and Grub. And that's why I write about it. And that's why I continue to ring the alarm because, you know, even though I tend more toward psychedelics for my own sort of comfort, I use weed every day as just sort of like a, a bomb. Yeah. Um, and you, you should know, so be like, able I, to. It is, yeah. it is your pursuit of happiness. Carl mm -hmm. Hart uh, is an author who just wrote a new book called uh, drug use for grownups. And he just, he talks about how it is such an infringement on, he goes, my drug use is 
my pursuit of happiness. It doesn't get in the way. I'm not breaking laws. I'm I'm a better functioning citizen because of it. And it's just yeah. I'm yeah. I'm I'm on I'm on your I'm on your track. And I was gonna say with you know with the, the Biden thing, like I just saw yesterday more about it that it, it's like legalization's far away. Maybe decriminalization is next. Maybe. And if that happens, come back to what you're saying about records. There better be a big plan to just, and, and, and you think about like, okay, is the plan just to release them? Like, what about expunging records? I mean, like this, there's still like, there's so. And what about reparations? Yeah. You know, yeah. what about the fact that you ruined someone's life? Yeah. You know, yeah. there's an amazing uh, documentary out right now that was made by Vanity Fair and a filmmaker whose name I can't remember, but they profile some people who've been affected by the war on drugs. One of them is Corvine Cooper, who was just relieved for serving a life sentence for cannabis. What? He was granted clemency. Yes, yes. He he was finally, he was granted clemency, but he was serving a basically a life sentence. Oh my God. I That is astonishing to me. Ast yeah. and, and yet, like, I'm I'm blanking on who, the Oxy, Oxycontin, People, the people, Purdue, Purdue, Purdue Pharma. Mm -hmm. I'm like, are they in jail? Are they like, no. do you know what I mean? Like I'm, that is when I just want to get on my soapbox and be like, this, this is insane guys. Like when you it are is. putting people, putting people to jail for possession of marijuana. And yet, you know, you have big pharma knowing that they're hurting people, knowing that Actively they're doing like, wanting to hurt people for money, for money. Like that is there, there's just, there's no like, well, it's not kind of like a crime. Like, no, 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 that's just a crime. That yeah. is what a crime against humanity with our op opioid crisis now. Like, and the, and the divide is color. The divide is color. Yes. The Purdue Pharma family are white. Yes. And many, if not most of the people who are sitting in prison for nonviolent cannabis offenses are not white. Exactly. And, you know, there's a moment in that documentary, I'll send you a link so you can watch it, there's a woman named Evelyn LaChapelle who's profiled and she was in prison for weed and she was watching TV and there was a woman who was, you know, one of these sort of like Bel Air women who was now newly embracing cannabis and being interviewed on CNN, a wealthy white woman. And the interviewer says something like, you know, how's business? And she says, business is booming. And wow. this woman sitting in prison for wow. using the same plant and wanting to profit from the mm. same plant. It's like, mm. what? I can't, I mean, you, it's, there are no words, there are no yeah, words, yeah. but we can actually identify what's happening. And what's happening yeah. is that the war on drugs is racist. Yeah. Very racist. <laughs> and people of color are criminalized for yeah. the same thing that white people can profit from, yeah. or at least get away with. I mean, yeah. I've never been arrested. Yeah. I've never been arrested. And I've been open about my cannabis and psychedelics use out loud and proud for yeah. a very long time. And yeah. I've, I've never been even questioned about it by yeah. laws. Yeah. I mean, don't come for me, but yeah. <laughs> you know, let me not test it now, but yeah, I just want to trip on this. I'm like, yeah, but um, no, it, it's absolutely true. And, and again, I'm going to quote Carl Hart again. He is, he was basically saying like, you know, during the, the crack pan, uh, uh, epidemic, it the whole black community um, particularly was just, just vilified and the incarcerations were going through the roof. And then he drew a comparison now to the, the opioid crisis that Trump calls an, a national emergency that he called a national emergency, but it, it's predominantly affects white people. And it's like the way that it's such a, you could just see like, oh, right. Like one is uh, just criminals, criminals and yeah. put them behind jail. And then one is, oh, they, they're unhappy. They need help. And I was like, mm -hmm. if you are doing crack or an opioid, you probably something, you probably need help. 
is the truth. There's probably right. something systemically happening here that is driving us to these substances that are truly harmful for us. Right. Well, and poverty. I mean, yeah. that's the main thing is that, yeah. you know, economic hardship will make you very unhappy. And if your needs are met, then you're going to not try to escape using something like crack or right. opioids. Yeah. Do you know about Rat Park? No. What is that? Rat Park was a an experiment conducted where there were rats put into a bear cage and they were given access to, I can't remember the drug that they gave them, but they were given access to a drug where they could just, you know, drink heroin all day. Oh, and yes. Yes. then they, they um, added, you know, things to their cage to make it so that the rats would, you know, have more to do and the rats used less drugs. And it's just the truth that, you know, if you are comfortable and happy, yeah. you are not going to turn to harmful substances as much. I mean, obviously yeah. addiction crosses all lines and there yeah. are plenty of people who have means who are also suffering from addiction, but For sure. you know, the very basic thing of poverty being at the heart of, yeah. you know, these communities suffering from both, you know, yeah. crack and, and the opioid crisis sure. is it's just, they're poor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we need to fix that first. Yeah. Escape the, the escapism for that. And, and I, I know I could never understand. And yet I, I, I couldn't even imagine, you know, when I, when I look at just some of the, yeah, just, just the inequity. And, um, I really, I really hope that we start stepping into a more conscious world with more woke policy. And one way to fix that inequity is to allow people to profit from cannabis. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you introduce into communities that have been most impacted by poverty and by the war on drugs and you say here's a plant that you can grow and then sell legally that is one of the ways to start fixing the problem yep 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 you know that's one of the problems with uh some of the state legalizations you know they're trying to control it so that only certain companies are able to grow and process and sell cannabis without laws for home grow in place. And that's why we truly need to fight for everyone to have the right to be able to grow their own. Yes. And for smaller businesses to be able to enter the legal cannabis industry and not make the bar so high that it's only VC, you know, and hedge fund capitalists, predatory capitalists who can come in and say, oh, now we're going to dictate the industry. Thank you very much, stoner community. We're going to take away this thing that you worked so hard to make legal. And now we're going to actually vilify you and say, get away from me stoners. And now we're going to make money off this. We need to not make that happen. How how do we not make that happen? How do we, what what does one uh, do to help shift that? Boy, I think, you know, keep ringing the alarm, talking about it on podcasts like yours and places like this and listening to the people who legalized in the first place, you know, listening to the activists who worked so hard to get us where we are, listening to the stoner community, listen to the cannabis community, listen to the people who love the plant and continue to sort of like look back for lessons as we move forward and not try and sort of like redefine weed. I think one of the things that I really hear happening, which is so unfortunate, is that these corporate cannabis ventures are coming in and saying, you know, we don't want to be associated with the stoner community. Why not? What yeah. are you talking about? I mean, I'm, you can you can say, I don't want to be seen as a stoner. That's fine. But why would you say the people who actually got this plant to where it is shouldn't be listened to? Yeah. They loved that plant so much. Yeah, they could teach you. 
They, they can teach you about it. it. Yeah, they can yeah. live. They, they can teach you a thing or two. It's yeah. So a I lot think of we ego. need to listen, listen to stoners. Like yeah. you know, embrace the stoners. Like it's really interesting watching psychedelic culture now move into hip hop. I don't know if you're seeing that sort of yeah. like yeah. merging of like the LSD. Grateful Dead is like now the kids are into the Grateful Dead through yeah. hip hop and stuff. Yep. And I think it's because they are listening to the lessons of those artistic elders. And I think in the same world in our community, we we need to listen to the lessons of our of our elders and of our ancestors and about yeah. all the people who have gotten us to where we are. And, and I think that's how we can really fight back against corporate cannabis and say, no, you're not, you're not going to get this one. This yeah. is one that we get to decide. Yeah. We're actually currently getting to decide what it looks like. Yeah. And yeah. that's really exciting. Yeah. Amen to that. Speaking of psychedelics and cannabis, do you, do you think that they're going to be on the same, a similar growth trajectory? Do you see differences uh, from your vantage point? I think, oh, it's so interesting. You know, I am seeing these psychedelic corporations start to snap up ketamine clinics and, you know, yeah. get excited about profiting off psychedelics. And I mm -hmm. think that that's, that's a little terrifying for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I understand big time, it. Big time now. There's a lot, yeah. there's probably a three dozen psychedelic companies now at this stage. Yes. And I think that, you know, similarly, we're going to have to fight back against them as well, yeah. you know, because predatory capitalism is always going to come along and try and, and try and dictate the terms of, yeah. you know, of what we worked to make available and take it from us. So I think, you know, I, I guess I don't really know because I'm, I'm interested to watch, but I wouldn't want to make any predictions. Yeah. I, I really am excited to see what's happening in Oregon and what's happening with, you know, groups like MAPS and the research that's coming out yeah. and, and watching sort of psychedelic media companies like double blind really yeah, start yeah. to spread I, I knowledge. interviewed Shelby. She was great. Yeah. I listened to your interview oh, with Shelby. Did you? Yeah, yeah. 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 She was, you she, know, Shelby and Madison are truly, uh, you know, at the forefront of a, of a really wonderful thing and spreading yeah. knowledge in a, in a really fun and interesting way. And their magazine is so beautiful. Yeah. So I think as that rises and happens, we should, we just all need to keep an eye on what they're doing in the boardrooms and, yeah. and hold them accountable. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's already happening. Compass Pathways, which is one of the big pharmaceutical companies a lot of the other pharmaceutical companies are are having trouble with them now because they uh vice put out an article that basically was they were trying to patent things like holding hands during a psychedelic <laughs> therapy comfortable a comfortable setting a comfortable like like a sofa like right like breathing breathing <laughs> yeah this is how you breathe like meanwhile like i'm like but that the idea of like they're they're trying to patent it as their their technique this is their technique i was like you this is holding hands is your technique that is right. patentable like the, the things that they're talking about it's like this is just psychedelic 101 and uh david bronner who's the ceo of of uh, dr bronner's was even even kind of rang the alarm and was like this is where we get into dangerous territory when there's just this desire to monopolize and therefore if to to cut people out that you know to that's going to make it harder for other companies to come in and and provide and and do mm -hmm. all these different things and i'm like yeah it's already it's already happening and thankfully there's some influential people at least calling ridiculous things out vice and dr bronner and just calling attention to what's happening already yeah. And now we need to make sure that CNN is doing the same and that yeah. CNN isn't, you know, hand in hand with the the hedge fund boardroom guys, which right. of course we know they are. Yeah. Uh, we need to make sure that they are covering it at the ground level, at the grassroots level, because this is a movement from the people of the culture. And, you know, they will only listen when money is involved. And we need yeah. to make sure that money doesn't dictate this. It can't yeah. be dictated by money, I think. I mean, yeah. 
they can try. But my, my true belief is that, you know, plant medicine, psychedelics cannot be captured by capitalism and, you know, terrible things can happen to legal industries, but we'll just go back underground. Yeah. I, I <laughs> joked, know? I joked, I was like, do your own stash. <laughs> like, yeah. do you need a mega mushroom trip to know how to make conscious decisions for the collective? Look, I'm, yeah. I'm all for good abundance, right? Like if there is a model, it's like not going in with the same model, like, Obviously there, there, there can be ways, but like, it needs to be reshaped. A friend of mine had said, he's, he was saying that basically like alcohol is like root chakra, right? Like it's just root chakra behavior and psychedelics are your higher chakras, right? Like your third eye and whatever. He's like, he's like, the thing is you can't just implement crown chakra with root chakra behavior. It needs to be implemented with the higher chakra systems, it needs to be a collective that is benefiting all. And of course, like, again, just like a good abundance, but I don't have the answer to that, but just finding mm -hmm. that whatever that balance is so that it doesn't just like you're saying, become just about capitalism. Because I think a lot of people that do psychedelics sees the, the deep desire for unity. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, my the connectedness to others and it breaks down separateness. And mm -hmm. so it's like the opposite of it's lifting others up. It's not needing as much so that there isn't so much inequity. It's insane. The inequity in this country, like Amazon making like 76 billion surplus in 2020. And then people are just starving all around the world. Like it's. <sighs> yeah, no, it's crazy. And, and, and when you get into it, it is very upsetting and it is hard to be light and, and, and fun about it and positive about it because it's, it's scary and, and dark and bad and evil uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think Amazon is, you know, could be the end of our society as we know it in yeah, some ways, but yeah. you know, uh, if you think about the big, big, crazy picture, you're never going to, I'm never going to leave my house. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to do, I have to do bite-sized things in order to move ahead. And then once you've done a bunch of bite-sized things and they add up, all of a sudden you, you've achieved something and then yeah. you've got a movement on your hands and then you've got a community and all that kind of stuff. So I try to think at my small local level yeah. when it comes to combating things like but that. And I, I do, you know, I think that talking to people like you and continuing to learn from people like Shelby and Madison yeah. and continuing to put the word out about things is like, that's all I can do. Same. Um, and so, you know, I, I get super, super mad about it. And then I, I, you know, I smoke a joint and I go on a walk and I look at my yeah. dog and I think, well, I'm doing the best I can. And that's all I can do. Yeah, no, no, I'm, gl I'm glad you brought it back to that place because the truth is I am actually uh, fundamentally uh, uh, joyous. And, and I, I right. that's part of my combating actually is to be happy and find the joy and see the light and see and have faith. I do have faith in humanity. I have faith that we're going in the right direction, even when it looks bleak. And I hold that frequency. I hold it because I, that's mm -hmm. part of part of it. It's not getting lost in the matrix. I think what, what I didn't realize, and what I think a lot of people don't realize is that hippies were very angry people. Mm -hmm. Hippies were activists who were yeah. very angry. They were angry at the government. They were angry at the war. They were angry at injustice. They were angry at the fact that the plant they loved was criminalized. They were really angry people. Yeah. And the whole peace and love aspect was because they worked very hard to find that joy despite their anger. And that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, so I, I don't self-identify as like a tie-dye wearing hippie, but that's the spirit. The Hell spirit yeah. of the hippie is of activism and of finding joy, even though you're like, super mad. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I had never thought of it that way, but yeah. Hell yeah. 
Yeah, like don't discount hippies. They got stuff done and, you know, they, they were like, did. And, the, and their spirit has endured. And, you know, I think that spirit is in, you, you know, not just the sort of like um, stereotypical hippie culture. I mean, that is in anyone who's an activist is that, you know, you're angry and you find joy. I mean, Greta Thunberg is like, that girl is on fire and she is pissed. And she's also very funny mm-hmm. and she's, you know, and she's finding the humor in things in order to get us all to hear her. And I think yeah. that's, that's the other thing that we need to do is like get the message out with a good sense of humor about yeah. all of it. Because, you know, fuck Mitch McConnell. That guy looks yeah. like a turtle <laughs> and I can laugh at that. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry totally. if I can't say the F oh, word on here. Oh my God. I fucking swear all the time. Don't you worry. Okay. Trip on this. I mean, if this was at all edited for anybody that is under 18, I'm in trouble. So don't you okay, worry. <laughs> um, let's end with just talking a little bit more about your podcast. I wanted to save it towards the end. First of all, I just want to say how envious I am that I can't just openly snack on like magic mushrooms on this. I mean, I'm sure I can like low key do it, but I'm not guys whoever's watching, but um, <laughs> tell us just a little bit more about what's the show about? Oh, it's about everything under the sun. You know, my co-host, Mike Glazer, is a comedian, an Emmy-nominated comedian, and he and I met at a cannabis event a few years back, and we hit it off, we just clicked, and we went to lunch here in LA, and one of those sort of like, what do you do? What do you do? Like a networky sort of funny lunch. And we realized we both just love talking to each other and weed and food. And we realized those were the cornerstones for everything that we wanted to make together. So we started the podcast three yeah. years ago. Yeah. We've grown so much. We just launched a Patreon. We This month alone, we had Megan Rapino and her twin sister, Rachel, mm-hmm. international soccer stars on to yeah. talk about their wow. CBD brand for athletes. And we had Bill Oakley, who was a showrunner of Simpsons fame. And we've had mm. Trixie Mattel and David Crosby and Jim Belushi and you know, we just had an incredible chef named Chef Amanda, who's this just like brilliant cannabis chef who wants to decolonize cannabis and the kitchen. Fascinating people. And so we Mm. talk about weed a lot, of course, and food, but really our idea was that weed and grub are the cornerstones for conversations about anything. And so that's the joy that we've really found. Yesterday, we just interviewed a famed porn star. So we're having a great time. Yeah, I've listened to a few episodes. It's a (laughs) lot of fun. And that's why I'm going to just I'm going to just compliment you here. I, I, for those watching and listening, I, I just said, God, Mary Jane, you just have such a great voice. And when I was listening to your podcast, like, yeah, I, that's where it first like came to me. I was like, wow, she's just, I, no wonder that they like, Mike too. Like, I was just like listening to you guys. Like, no wonder they're fun to like hang out with. I'm just enjoying Thank like you. hanging with you guys. I was like, yeah, I'm like kind of there with them. Thank you so much. We really want to be buds in people's ears, you know, yeah. in, in these times. I mean, I think, you know, we just really believe that getting the message out about all of the things that we care about is best done through entertainment, obviously, but fun, having a great time with each other and taking things very seriously, but, but, you know, finding, finding the joy in everything. So yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I do assault listeners ears with songs every once in a while. I just made up a song to the tune of um, driver's license, but I was singing about Popeye's biscuits, you know, do you, do you want to, do you want to share? A little bit of it. Oh, people can check out. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago that episode. I don't want to assault your ears with it too. I actually, I actually listened to it and you have a great voice. You do. You do. I was like, well, I was like anybody from Popeye's like marketing team, like just it's here for you. Get at <laughs> me. I'll Mary take Jane that sponsorship. <laughs> You should really like just send it to them and be like, look, this was free, but 
Yeah, free advertising for you. Yeah. Send me a lifetime membership to Popeyes. Thank yes, you. yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for today. I've had such a wonderful time talking to you. I know we got into some passionate territories, but I think it's good. I think it's good that people hear all the ranges of the emotion and the importance around it. And also when we come back to some laughs, because it is about staying light ultimately. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you so much for having me. This is my favorite thing to do is have conversations with wonderful people like you oh, about all, you. all the things I love. So. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And for everyone watching and listening, as always, trip on this. <laughs>